Hi, and welcome back to the Forget the Wine podcast, Reclaiming the Book Club. Remember when book clubs were actually about books? Madeline and I were tired of the book club being portrayed as a thinly veiled ladies wine night in popular culture, so we decided to fight this bastardization ourselves. Join us as we examine and interpret modern novels. And okay, if you want to drink a glass of wine while you listen, we won't judge you. Well, we won't audibly judge you. Welcome to our latest episode of Forget the Wine. Um, today we're going to be talking about Marlena by Julie Benton. Uh, my name is Madeline and I'm coming to you from this episode from London uh, in England and I'm joined by Laura. Hello, yes, I am coming to you still from Minnesota and yes, so I can give a brief description of Marlena. It was published in 2017, so it is a recent uh, debut here, and it was Julie Bunn's first novel. So, everything about 15-year-old Kat's new town in rural Michigan is lonely and off-kilter until she meets her neighbor, the manic, beautiful, pill-popping Marlena. Kat, inexperienced and desperate for connection, is quickly lured into Marlena's orbit by little more than an arched eyebrow and shake of white blonde hair. As the two girls turn the untamed landscape of their desolate small town into a kind of playground, Kat catalogs a litany of firsts. First drink, first cigarette, first kissed, while Marlena's habits harden and calcify. Within the year, Marlena is dead drowned in six inches of icy water in the woods nearby. Now, decades later, when a ghost from that pivotal year surfaces unexpectedly, Kat must try to forgive herself and move on, even as the memory of Marlena keeps her tangled in the past. So, yes, most of the book, we have kind of two timelines going on. We have um, present day when Kat is contending with Marlena's brother who kind of wants to meet up and discuss what happened and then we have Kat reminiscing on her teenage years coming of age with Marlena um so how did you like the structure of the book being set up that way yeah I think we've seen a lot of narratives with this format lately where we have a present-day narrator who's beginning to look back on something they're reflecting on their a really pivotal point in their lives uh, from some viewpoint later on and usually in relation to like some coming of age story um, so for me my first impression was that I, okay this is a structure I've seen before I have a lot to compare it to is it going to match up to some structures where I've seen it very well done in the past um, and I think for the most part, the, the movement back and forth was, was well-structured. Um, I was, I found myself much more compelled by Kat's present day voice than by her adolescent voice. Um, and I think that was because we see in her adolescent sort of this budding, um, this, her dynamics with her family and this sort of budding addiction, alcoholism in her youth, um, but in her present day, we're really fully immersed in her um, status as a high-functioning alcoholic. And um, for me, yes, she's haunted by her past, but I was a lot more compelled with how she was um, 
controlled and sort of obsessive um, about her drinking. And, and I think that Bunsen did a nice job with that framing of like an alcoholic mindset. Um, so I, it was an interesting, um, interesting structure. What I was, and I would be curious to hear your take on it was um, her choice to reveal Marlena's death from the very, very beginning of the novel. Um, that seemed like a very specific decision that she was telling us from the get-go, Marlena is dead and how we don't really know much about it other than it was in relation to some shady business. Um, so that part I was like, was that a, a successful choice or a not successful choice for the rest of the book to know from the get-go that Marlena will be dead? Yeah, I mean, I think um, what stood out to me most in what you said there is that it's very familiar. And that is my biggest feeling reading this book, too. It really felt paint by numbers for me. Like, I can't tell you how many mm-hmm. recent, like, even 2017 releases I read where we start by revealing that a 17-year-old girl is dead and then we go back and fill in all the details of her tragic Mm -hmm. life. And they're always kind of the same. Mm -hmm. She's sad, sexualized too young, uses drugs to escape. It was, like, very um, just predictable. Um, But most of the books that start with a girl being dead – The idea is that it's like a hook to get you in for a mystery and you figure out who killed her or what circumstances led to her being dead. And in this book, I think we find out maybe 30 pages in like, oh, she tripped and drowned in shallow water. And maybe they allude to someone else being involved. Um, But ultimately, there's never any resolution or real suspense with Marlena's death. So I thought it was mm-hmm. such a peculiar choice for a plot driver when it doesn't resolve to anything. My guess is that the author right. is trying to make um, some poetic point about uh, sometimes death is just pointless and there's no sinister causes behind it sometimes when a girl is doing drugs and is wild, that just leads to her downfall and it's Mm -hmm. not glamorous and it's not whatever. She's just, um, she just dies. But in my opinion, it didn't subvert the tropes around like the beautiful dead girl story enough Mm -hmm. for that ending Mm -hmm. to be like surprising or to really say anything. It just was like, I read a whole book for no reason like there was no there 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 was no mystery yeah I agree that it was a very sort of flat ending um because in the end she you you wonder if there's going to be something more to the story revealed or something about Marlena that we didn't know uh, ahead of time revealed when when Kat has this meeting with Marlena's younger brother Sal um or there will be some sort of truth that Kat has has numbed herself from that she's kept hidden from herself through alcohol abuse. Um, But really she just sort of meets with him and feels a bit lighter. And this is one part of the ending. I also really didn't like was that then it had this resolution of her starting to go back to AA meetings. Um, And it, it says like, 
after she met with Sal, she goes down to the basement of a church, goes to an AA meeting, and the next week she goes back. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess she's all better now. That's definitely how alcoholism works. <laughs> like, oh, she sort of unburdened herself from this trauma that's been fighting her her whole life, and now she's gonna, she's maybe going to be okay. So I thought that in addition to that sort of the dead mystery that doesn't really move anywhere with Marlena, that sort of neat wrap up really, um, really struck me as, uh, yeah, it didn't really anything. It felt forced and contrived and didn't really, um, it felt, it felt like a neatly wrapped package, um, which I think that there were a few times the author sort of moved away from those neat endings. Like you were saying, um, it could have been an exploration of how like some people just have tragic lives and die. And, um, but it, it seemed like she was trying to do more that she didn't quite accomplish. Right. Um, and I did find a quote. Yeah. And I did find a quote, um, from the author talking about her choice to include Marlena's death in the intro, um, that I can just share with you. Um, the author says, I wanted to create suspense even within the framework of knowing that Marlena is going to die, that the train is barreling down the track. That felt like more honest exploration of grief than the more narratively suspenseful choice, which would eventually withhold that information from the reader until it actually happens in the story. Um, and she says, like, as a reader, I feel a bit betrayed by novels that are told retrospectively in first person, as she chooses in this novel, that develop a sus suspense <laughs> via a secret the narrator is keeping. Um, so she's basically saying that, like, this strategically withheld information is, if it's a novel's entire suspense mechanism, it feels like a cop out on the writer's part, which... I definitely don't agree with myself. Um, so basically she's saying that like with the unreliable narrator, that piece of withheld information um, makes the story less interesting and isn't really um, is an easy way out for an author. But I don't necessarily agree with that being the case. Yeah. I think that it takes a lot of skill to be able to do that. Well, it's interesting to me that her goal was to create a realistic depiction of grief, um, because I certainly don't think that the novel is successful in that. This was one of the things that bothered me the most, is that Kat is uh, our narrator reflecting back on when she was 15, but we're hearing the story from a perspective where she's, I believe, 32 in the novel. So she's far mm -hmm. removed from Marlena's death. I'm not saying that it's not realistic that Marlena's death didn't wouldn't still affect her or have shaped the person that she grew into, but to me, it was written like she was 17 and this happened six months ago. Like, there was not mm -hmm. enough realistic... Uh, distance from a Marlena's mm -hmm. death but more importantly who she was when she was 15 cats reminiscing on mm -hmm. stories from when she's 15 and having those memories as if she's the same person at 32 as she was at 15 I don't know about you yeah. but like when I look back on shit I did when I was 15 14 it's like it's a totally different person and you know, it is the, the way that we develop. It's like all new, you know, we're a whole all new cells, all new person, all new development. Um, and that colors the way that I tell stories 
um, about the time when I was a teenager. So I just thought the tone of the narration from a 30-year-old was super unrealistic. Um, I don't know. Did that bother you at all? Yeah, I can definitely see that side of things. It really made me dislike Kat in a way. I didn't really, re- I didn't really find her to be uh, admirable or, um, you know, worthy character in some ways. But on the other side, I think that what intrigued me about her character was her um, addiction and her alcoholism. And I can see how, like, if she started drinking when she was that age. And it became ingrown into her structure like that is how she began to cope with life. And that's when she started. I can see in some ways how she then did get stagnant and did not grow into the person that she could have become because she's been um, drink. You know, that drinking has been a cornerstone of her identity and her personality for her entire life. Um and she, we have this one quote about it when she's towards the end. And I do agree that her obsession with Marlena is a little bit unrealistic also. Um, but it ties into her alcoholism a little bit. She says, I drank, drank with her, Marlena's memory, all over the city. Drank myself into emergency rooms and back seats of cabs and scenes I cannot remember but still regret. And yet here I am, alive, a grown woman, managing to keep it under some kind of control. But every time I stop after a drink or two or three, that monster starts to roar, and that's when I'm closest to her again. So I can see also how an alcoholic would be striving for any excuse to keep drinking. And maybe for her, that excuse is Marlena's death, even though it's been so long ago. Okay. I mean, I can see that. Um, I I would just think maybe if she was that destructive, that there would have been other um, events that shaped her between the time Mm -hmm. that she was 16 and the time that she was 30. Like she would have done other destructive things that also had an impact on her life if she really was um you know this this much of a functioning alcoholic uh another thing that I kind of wanted to talk about that plays into the weird tone of um nostalgia in this book is that I couldn't figure out what time period it was supposed to be set in like it was very confusing um it was written with this kind of like dreamy 70s tone and the girls were always singing like Joni Mitchell and Stevie Nicks songs but then they were texting I mean we were about 14 12 and 2002 which I think is ostensibly the time period that most of the novel is supposed to be set in we weren't, I mean, nobody was listening to, like, Fleetwood Mac. That wasn't a thing. Yeah. So that was so yeah. frustrating. Um, yeah. And then also a lot of the novels kind of about the opioid crisis. And it was just so early. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the way that the timeline paid up? I, yeah, the time-based references, I could not get a handle on them at all. Because they mentioned, she also talks about how there's a boy in the high school cafeteria who's playing with a vintage Game Boy. And then (laughs) she, yeah, and then her mom is on this dating site called Plenty of Fish. Um, Marlena mentions, like, she puts Sal to bed with, like, I don't know, I think she gives him something to make him sleep that's really unhealthy. And she's like, oh, I saw it on a parenting blog. 
And it's also the Iraq war and they also have dial up internet. Like I was trying, I was writing down all these references, like what the fuck is going on? Just trying to get a sense of what time period we were in. Um, I found those. And then I agree. Then there's that whole side of it where they're romanticizing like um, Joni Mitchell and all of these like quote unquote, really great musicians. And I think that sort of played into the stereotypes of Marlena's character as well that really um, turned me off from the novel a bit was just that Marlena's whole character seemed to be made up of tragic, beautiful girl stereotypes. And there wasn't much beyond that. Um, So yeah. Yes. That drove (laughs) me absolutely insane is this like, I found um, a description in an essay by Annie throughout, which I thought was really apt and they call the archetyped that uh, Marlena is the sexy tragic muse and a quick description of that character type is she's damaged often as a result of sexual assault or other abuse by men the sexy tragic muse fetishizes women's pain by portraying debilitating mental health disorders filtered dreamily through the male gaze The trope glamorizes addiction, a disease that is distinctly unglamorous for those living with it. The sexy tragic muse is vulnerable and her vulnerability is sexualized. Um, And even though that this was this book was written by a female author, I thought that it was really clear that this that Marlena is a sexy tragic muse and that her addiction um, is filtered dreamily through the male gaze. And even though obviously it wasn't a male writing it, I think that it's a relatively young author and I think we've all grown up in a culture um, that's very heavily influenced by the male gaze. And so, you know, even we may be playing into that even as women um, just based on the stories that we've read and and grown up with. But the amount that the book focused on Marlena's beauty, Marlena's relationships with men, her power over men, Um, And like how she was kind of this dangerous bomb. You never knew what was going to happen with her, but that made it all the more exciting. Like, I don't know how many books I've read about characters like this, and I've never met anyone like that in real life. Like, addicts are usually not like hyper charismatic, beautiful people. Like, yeah, I don't know. What or if, if they do start, if they do start that way, then they slowly degrade themselves. They degrade their bodies and and their friendships and their relationships and their desperation and need becomes really apparent. But yeah, I, I've I've this like, and it's one similarity I've noticed with Marlena's character is like they're always blonde, they're always thin and slender and like wayfish and like breakable almost and like have angular faces and like big eyes and they are they are always have this super waif like appearance which adds to their mysterious beauty but also makes them really physically vulnerable um and and we see like she's taken advantage of by different men different um like just all of these different scenarios and it's is so frustrating because it does feel really fetishized like cat is the narrator and she's like got brown hair and she's 
she's bookish. She reads, she references, and I've noticed this trend in authors as well who have these sort of coming of age stories. They're always referencing the novels that these girls are reading. Like I have a whole list of all the books that are referenced that Kat is reading throughout the novel. And it's like Franny and Zooey, um, Stephen King, uh, David Copperfield. It's all of these like pretty brainy books. Um, and I, that also kind of bothered me, but, um, just the, maybe if it was a few references, but, um, they always have to be like this sort of bookish, like awkward, don't really feel comfortable in their own skin. And then they see this like quote unquote powerful young girl who's, yeah, she has issues, but she's like in control or has this illusion of being in control of her life, which is just like such an unhealthy, thing um even if it is revealed that marlena is like comes to a tragic death why again why does she have to tragically die then because she's made these choices it just yeah this whole story we've seen over and over it's just getting really stale and it's really not healthy for from a coming of age perspective for young girls to be reading stories like this um coming of age doesn't have to be like um there's a like a healthy girl who reads and is like brought into this whole new world of perspective by like um, a beautiful addict. Like uh, it's just frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. And and what surprised me maybe the most is that Julie Bunton, the author seems aware of this. They found a quote for her that, that says American culture for a long time has put bad girls on a pedestal. I think there's this idea that being a fast girl is attractive and alluring. So, I mean, if Marlena was meant to subvert this in any way, it totally fails. Um, I mean, it it paints Marlena as this beautiful, tragic, touched-by-death girl, and it romanticizes everything about her being screwed up. Um, And then Mm -hmm. there's also weird passages. Like, there's a passage where Kat, our narrator, actually shares her first kiss with anyone with Marlena. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it goes into pretty deep description and I don't know if it's meant to be titillating for the audience or like I have no idea what my reaction to the passage of Kat and Marlena making out was supposed to be but Kat in depth describes like the feel of her tongue in her mouth and I don't Mm -hmm. know there was this whole idea that I, I don't know what the author was trying to say with that passage if she was trying to fascinate and allure us as readers um but it was just strange it was it and it the weird thing is it didn't come back again either like I I there's I think we've seen this a lot before this sort of when women in these close friendships and young girls in these close friendships um are written about there is like this kind of competitiveness or this element of sexuality that gets tangled up with it which in some cases i think makes sense like younger women are starting still trying to figure out who they are and what they want in life and um and figure out things about their sexuality but in this passage it just felt it did feel forced and it was like um and leading up to this passage, this is also the first time Kat gets drunk. And then Kat notices when they're all like drinking in this cellar together that Marlena was different with me when we were with the boys. 
she flirted with me almost meanly the same way she flirted with them. So we see this sort of like competitiveness come up between them and it's, it's really weird because then there's also some beautiful passages I thought about female friendship and this, how these young girls who are in such lonely places in their lives, like how close their bonds can become. Um, and I think there's so much to, to say about female friendship and so much to explore there, but and she got there a few times, but it, overall, like their friendship was really um, antagonistic and um, confusing in some ways to me. And this passage just made it even messier. Yeah, and without without acknowledging that it was a toxic and antagonistic friendship, I think that yeah. was the biggest issue for me. Is that not only Marlena's character, but Kat and Marlena's relationship was romanticized by the book. Yeah. Um, but I I do think to, for to be positive for a minute, they did touch on. Um, one aspect of female friendship that I thought was realistic and nicely told here, which was that every time that Marlena revealed a secret to Kat, Kat felt like it tied them more closely together. And she kind of created this sense of ownership over Marlena. And Mm -hmm. she really loved being the only person that knew things about her best friend. And that felt um, realistic to being in, in high school when there's not that much to trade on besides like knowledge and secrets and gossip and knowing everything that's in your best friend's head. Um, and that that probably can be toxic, and I don't think that the book acknowledged how unhealthy um, that can be, but it was at least uh, one positive aspect for me. Yeah, and there were a few moments, like I think in a quote that goes along with that idea, at one point Kat says, everyone has a secret life, but when you're a girl with a best friend, you think your secret life is something you can share. Um, so there were a few times where she had these really thoughtful pieces of, of writing. Um, and then I think that this quote also, um, summarizes like the bonds that women have, especially in, in high school when they're younger, she says together, we had power. We were capable of revenge. The two of us made one perfect unfuck with the bull girl. Nothing could hurt us as long as we weren't alone. So I think that this idea that women find strength within each other, um, I think that is one reason why female friendships and those bonds can be so strong and um, maybe like in some ways codependent. But I thought that was like a nice sort of quote as well that summarized the fact how dependent they were on one another. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was the ultimately the most positive points of, of the book for me is those moments that did nicely um, kind of encapsulate what it's like to be a teenage girl. Um, something else, else that's obviously pretty central to the teenage girl experience is having your first experiences with boys and love and sex. Um, so Marlena has many men in her life. That's kind of part of her power in Kat's eyes is that Kat's not as experienced. And she sees Marlena as this goddess who can kind of have control over any men that she, men that she wants. She's very impressed by this. So, uh, Marlena has a boyfriend writer that Kat is also attracted to. And ultimately 
um, ends up hooking up with. Um, Marlena was sexually harassed by her math teacher. Um, and then last but not least, there's a much older man in his 40s, I believe, named Bolt. And Marlena, it, it's all told kind of through Kat's eyes as a 15-year-old, so it's not said explicitly. But we believe that Marlena is sleeping with him in exchange for prescription drugs. So how did you think that the novel handled Marlena and Kat's sexuality? It's tough. Again, I think there were some good things about it and some not so good things. Um, I think coming back to this message of like, I, I had a quote in here when we were talking about gender um, where Kat is describing Marlena and she says, Marlena loved vulgarity. It was her way of revolting against her loveliness, which she called more curse than blessing, which I thought was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. But now I think I understand how beauty like hers can pen you in, how it can make your life smaller and smaller until it's all anyone thinks you are. And for me, when I read this, I thought, do we really need to be hearing more of this message that beautiful women are doomed, that beauty will hold you back in life and make you a target for for men and why can't women be beautiful and also not be threatened in life? Why are women afraid to be beautiful? Um, and that I, that is just what came to mind when I read that quote about, and I guess it goes back to just the framing of Marlena's character. Um, but I think you, you also had a reaction to that quote. Yeah, it's a bummer that all the sex in this novel is transactional for um, the women. It's more about them um, letting a man have something rather than doing something together. I think that's fairly standard for teenage girls, unfortunately. I think it's Mm -hmm. easier to perform sexuality and feel emotional validation from feeling sexy and desired than to learn how to mm-hmm. actually experience physical sexual pleasure um mm-hmm. but it's a bummer that in this novel transactional sex is i think glamorized and it's yeah. like a power that marlena has that she's seducing bolt for pills and yes it's acknowledged that it's dark um but it's also something that really impresses cat and I think this is part of the yeah. issue with the narration, but Kat doesn't acknowledge how, when she's 32, reflecting back on this situation, how screwed up this is. Yeah. Um, and I really agree with your point about the beautiful women are doomed narrative. Um, and I think it takes a lot of women's agency away, even agency just to be mentally ill in and of ourselves. It makes it say, like, if you're beautiful, men will take advantage of you and damage you, and that will drive you to drugs and depression and mental illness. Like, maybe Marlena Mm -hmm. just had a genetic predisposition to uh, addiction and depression. Maybe she has a destructive personality disorder, um, but she's really just painted as a victim of men rather than a victim of her own mind or the world. And I think that's a bummer just because we hear this story so much um, and there's room for other narratives out there. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I agree like with the sort of, like you were saying with the sexist transaction, um, we see that cat really does sort of take on this, this trait, like because she admires it in Marlena, like with Ryder when she loses her virginity to him. And then later um, she, um, and, and that was also, I thought that was kind of a realistic scene, but also um, there was no, um, there, it, it kind of added to this idea that the sexuality is always in service to men. And then later when Ryder is texting her, being like trying to get with her and she's like, she's getting all this pleasure from telling him no and sort of teasing him. Um, be, she seemed to be getting pleasure from this idea of like having power or control through her sexuality that she had learned through Marlena. Um, and again, yeah. I think that that's realistic when mm-hmm. you're 15, 16, like you are just discovering what effect you can have on men and how to use that. But what I didn't like is that we're hearing the story through the voice of a 32-year-old woman and she, a woman, and she was not reflecting and saying, like, um, you know, oh, how I wanted this from Ryder wasn't – there's no perspective there. Um, she, she still seems to hold the same ideas as she did when she was 15. Yeah, and then in addition to these relationships with um, – romantic relationships with men – we see some really interesting pieces with Marlena and Kat's relationships with each of their fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I know you're really excited to discuss this part of it, but it, we, I mean, I feel like it's something we can't leave out because it was just, I, okay. So I understood more of the narrative with like Kat's dad. He basically left their family. He had a midlife crisis, had an affair with a really young girl and I thought that the scene where Kat sees him again, um, like in this random um, Culver's actually, which made me laugh, um, in a Culver's fast food chain. Um, and he just, he's like, oh, you're wearing too much makeup. And he's acting like he's this big, has this big personality. But really, you can tell he does not give a fuck about the family he left behind. And he's really self-involved. Um, and then getting little clues from Marlena's mom as she shares like stories about her dad that sort of lead cat to believe he's not this admirable man that she thought he was. I, I thought that part of the narrative was interesting and like her family dynamics were um, engaging and added some depth, but who the stuff with Marlena's dad was man. Gross. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and this kind of adds to there's this whole element. So even outside of all of the op- the commentary on the opioids and the addiction and alcoholism, there are characters in this book who are cooking meth in addition to all of this. Um, so Marlena's dad is a meth cooker. And um, there's some really disturbing scenes where he comes in and Kat just says he's staring at me without interest, his face psychotically alert and there's a lot of tension in Marlena's household because her dad is literally in the backyard cooking meth and on meth. And um, then there's this scene where Marlena's dad comes home and starts hitting on Kat. Um, and he likes, I think he's commenting on her breasts. And he unsnaps her bra. Oh, God, I forgot about that part. Locked it out. Locked it out. <laughs> yeah, it's so nasty. 
Yeah, and the really messed up thing is that cat sort of is like appeased by this attention, like she's disturbed by it, but she also wants it to keep happening. And Marlena's like, just leave, get out, like let me handle my dad. And and then there's no really big resolution of like why she sort of wanted this to keep happening to her and I yeah, there was a whole lot going on with that scene that left me feeling really disconcerted and really confused as to what its purpose was. That's how I felt. It was uncomfortable that it was another scene inserted by the author just to be shocking or create this like dark rural meth wilderness type of vibe. Um, like literally the what I kept thinking of when reading this entire book was like, Alana Del Rey music video and this is all the same stuff like references to daddy and like this broken girl who um you know is doomed like that's just very much the vibe um and I just didn't think that there was much narrative quality with the scene with Marlena's dad um it didn't reveal anything to us about Marlena and what it revealed to us about Kat wasn't explained. Um, yeah. It was just confusing. So it was a frustrating addition just because, I, I mean, I, I, bad stuff happens in the world. I don't mind when it's included in books. Um, but I think it should have some narrative Perfect. end to it. Yeah, yeah. It should, if you include it in a story, um, it should add something to the story or add something to like the reader's perspective or like you were saying something to like the character's experience, but to just throw something like that in and not really ever come back to it just felt, um, yeah, it just, it just felt like a sort of, uh, not gimmick, but just jab at the reader. Um, like you were saying, creating this meth wilderness. And I thought the whole narrative with the meth cooking, really uh, confused the narrative at points because I, I think that um, Bunton was really didactic with, with what she was trying to say about the opioid crisis and how like these I, opioids sort of snuck up on America, whereas like um, and, and people didn't really see it as a problem um, until it was too late. And whereas like with meth, it's like, OK, yeah, meth is everyone knows meth is bad. <laughs> like and um Everyone knows like that all of the horror that goes along with meth cooking and meth addiction. So I thought just adding that to the mix just really didn't it just I think it was more just to make Marlena's situation more unbearable and uncomfortable. Um, But it beyond adding to her sort of um, instability, it didn't really I didn't understand why Ryder was cooking meth. Or nothing really came of that other than just he had to sort of make a deal with the police that ended up putting Marlena's dad in jail. So it seemed like there were some plot driven things. But at the same time, I feel as if the whole meth piece could have been left out and it would have been better <laughs> if it so. hadn't been focused on. No, I agreed. I thought that it was another thing that was supposed to contribute to a tone of 
foreboding and darkness and fear um, rather than something that made sense with the characters, that made sense with the story that was trying to be told. Um, I thought it was just kind of another thing on the checklist of like um, rural America terror, like you won't believe what's, you know, happening to our children. And uh, so I, I agree with you. I don't think it was a particularly effective plot point. Yeah, and and like I said, I think that she did a, a fairly good job of of painting this idea of why people in these rural areas do end up turning to substances. Like there was one, there a lot of this past of this story takes place in winter in northern Michigan, and she she has this quote that I I. I kind of liked um, where she says, probably most teenagers think where they live is boring, but there aren't words for the catastrophic dreariness of being 15 in Northern Michigan at the tail end of winter when you haven't seen the sun in weeks and the snow won't stop coming and there's nowhere to go and you're always cold and everyone you know is broke. And uh, so everyone drank. Teachers came to class with hangovers. Parents got DUIs. Um, we drank, Marlena took her pills, and Ryder sold his crap meth. Um, so I thought that even though it was really explicit, and when she talks about these themes, I think her tone is super black and white, and like it's really obvious what point she's trying to get across, which I don't know how well that works for the writing piece, but I did a- appreciate that piece she put in of just how, how crippling this boredom can be and how lonely this setting can be that leads to these um this abuse of substances Um, so i think we've talked a lot about what we didn't like about the book but so let's maybe dive into the positive aspects for both of us i think one of the biggest ones for you was how the author dealt with cat's alcoholism in present day do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah i thought that was much more compelling to me because She's obvious. So in present day, she's working at a library. She has a functional job. She lives with her boyfriend or is it husband? Um, she, she lives with a partner and they have a pretty well managed life. They're not in any financial stress. They, she lives in New York City. Um, but she's obviously just barely holding herself together. Um, and sort of going from day to day in this, sort of fog of um, that's her whole life revolves around her drinking. So she's still, and I really, um, I think that this is a really interesting thing to me in literature, this high functioning alcoholism, because a lot of times we hear stories about, you know, people who are at their last, you know, they've, they've fallen and they have lost everything and their alcohol or addiction has destroyed their lives. But this is more of a depiction of what it, what it is like for her as a functional alcoholic. Um, so I thought like the scenes where she is, um, like when she's going, she leaves the library, she leaves work and she goes to a happy hour and just gets really tanked, um, after work by herself. And, just she's like, I know I shouldn't drink this fourth martini, but I'm going to. And she, she always has this consciousness that she has a problem. Um, but she is this self-awareness of her addiction is very much there. And and she's really she tries to hide it from her boyfriend a little bit, but she still drinks in front of him. 
And she's always testing him to see if he's going to be mad at her for her drinking and just to see how far she can go with it. And so I thought that whole exploration was really interesting and felt a lot more compelling and true, true to life and like a story that we don't hear that often. But, um, but then she sort of <laughs> ruined it in the end when she's like, and then I went to AA and st- kept going to AA because um, this one slight change in my past came to be. Um, I was, I thought that was, and I, we saw that <laughs> that was another really neat wrap up in the girl on the train, basically after, because that whole theme of that book is the, the protagonist, the unreliable narrator's alcoholism. And in the end she's like, Oh yeah, then I almost died. So I quit drinking and now I don't drink anymore. The end. And it was just like, what? No, that's not how sobriety works. <laughs> um, so I, um, but overall I thought that present day cat was an interesting character to follow. Did you agree or disagree with that? I'm not one for addiction stories. Um, they just personally don't have interest to me. But there were some things that I did like about the author's depiction of present-day cat. Um, I really liked the way that the author dealt with money or the lack thereof. Um, both Cat and Marlena grew up without a lot of money. Cat's um, family struggled to end, make ends meet where Marlena's family was like in dire straits and just the small details and ways that they differentiated um, the gap in wealth between these two um, families that were both like ostensibly lower income, both living in rural Michigan was pretty elegant. Um, But my favorite part was when cat adult cat talks about getting so much more wealthy after college um, and she talks about how her apartment is just full of money by way of leather handbags and scented candles and I really liked um, that depiction she talks about showing off to her parents when they come into town just to kind of show them that she's made it and progressed past where she uh, has was as a child and um, I just liked I thought money was fairly well handled in terms of writing in the book. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And it wasn't, I I think sometimes poverty can also be romanticized in literature. Like, Oh, they didn't have much, but they had each other. And (laughs) (laughs) so I think she did a good job avoiding that and being like, no, this really does have a strong detrimental effect on a family unit. And it causes stress that, that weaves itself throughout every aspect of, of life when you're in financial s- stress um, or when your family is in financial stress. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree. She did a good job with that. Um, and like with the fi- family dynamic too, I think we both um, thought her writing of Kat's relationship with her mother and her brother um, were well done. Um, her sort of, this this competition and this frustration she has with her mother as an adolescent, especially because her, um, her mother is divorced and she's dating other men and um, trying to regain a foothold in life after sort of losing everything. Um, and then her reappreciation of her mother as she ages. Um, I thought that was really 
uh, well done and poignant. And her, and her mother is, like, definitely an alcoholic as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Marlene is pretty understanding of her and recognizes that it's a coping mechanism and that her mother still has love for her. So without romanticizing um, that alcoholism, I think she, she handles it pretty nicely and has an appreciation that her mom is, like, doing her best um, yeah. that they aren't the perfect family unit and I, I don't think that I read much of that especially um, from like a teenage perspective so I appreciated yeah. the way that Kat's immediate family was written yeah and her relationship with her older brother where they both gave each other a hard time and resented kind of where they were but at the same time found ways to bond and and still showed that no matter what they were there for each other, even when they were giving each other a lot of shit and, and um, really angry with each other, like what for the things that it mattered, they were there. Um, So I thought that was uh, another, like you said, not a traditional way of of depicting a sibling relationship, but it felt more true and real that way. So overall, would you uh, recommend this book to others or what were, what are your kind of final wrap up thoughts? I overall would not. I felt like there were a few things that I found engaging about it. But overall, like we said at the very beginning, I felt like I had read this all before and I didn't need to hear this story again. Um, and there were a lot of really frustrating depictions of um, of women in it. Um, but and I think there are other coming of age stories that are more interesting and um, engaging. Um, but if you really, really love this genre novel, then for sure give it a try. Um, but overall, I would say probably skip it. Yeah, I, I'm totally on the same page with you. It's not without merit. There are some moments of nice writing. There's some moments where it's very over the top. Um, but in general, you've read this book a hundred times before, and this one does not go far enough to distinguish itself or make it worth reading. Um, But did you have any recommendations so people can kind of get a sense of what type of genre this is in, other books that are similar? Yeah, so um, I had a couple in mind here. The first one that came to mind was The Girls, um, which is another recent, um, has come out recently. It's also coming of age. And it has the same narrative structure of like a present day narrator looking in at the past. Um, but this, she becomes involved with a sort of 1960s cult um, following. Um, and the, so the subject matter was more, I would say um, it was a little bit unique. And I thought um, I was, a, I think I enjoyed the writing and the girls a bit more, even though it did have its issues as well. Um but uh, another one is Foxfire Confessions of a Girl Gang. And I read this years ago, but I just remember what really struck me was that very deep exploration of female friendship and the really intense bonding that can happen between women, especially as they're in that adolescent period. Um, and there's a very, very similar scene um, where there's a public humiliation of a math teacher that is done by the girl gang because he hits on the girls um, at school. And it was really, really, really similar to the graffiti that happens in Marlena um, against their science teacher who assaults her. Um, 
So uh, that was another one. Um, and I think we both uh, thought of History of Wolves, which is actually, if you go back to, what is it, episode two? <laughs> we have a yep. podcast episode on that one. Um, but another coming of age, there's a present day narrator um, looking back on her past and a really traumatic experience from her past. And there, I would say that it's like a very successful way to build a sense of dread through writing. Um, so that book is maybe kind of what Marlena wants to be in tone yeah. and structure, but just can't quite achieve. Yeah. And then a really terrible book that I don't recommend reading, but really reminded me of this one was Burning Girl um, by Claire Massoud, I think, Massoud. Um, and, uh, she, this like idea, I, I thought it was pretty poorly done. Um, the timeline was really difficult to follow and it just played so much on that trope of like a tragic bad girl and good girl scenario. Um, but this book really reminded me of it. Yeah, I hated that piece of shit book. And <laughs> I found an interview with Julie Bunt. Button, the author of this book, um, saying that she read Claire Massand while she was re writing this. So oh. it's not surprising that the writing style and the tone is similar. And I hate them both. Yeah, yeah, that's really disappointing because I think they're, like I said, there's so much depth to female friendship and it is such a unique experience in life. Like the Friend, and I've had a lot of discussions with this in the past couple of months with um, the campsite I worked at in Edinburgh. Like I met a lot of people from all over the world and um, became close with a couple of women there. And we just sharing these experiences of what we've been through with our friends in the past and having that support structure that women are able to give other women. It's just, I don't know, it's really unique and there's so yeah. much going on there to explore. Why do we keep having these stories of uh, tragic, beautiful women and like good girls gone bad and stealing your friend's boyfriend and making out with her for a guy's attention. Yeah, it sucks. There's so much more to female friendship than these books give it, give us. Mm -hmm. And it's particularly disappointing that, um, a female writer kind of gave us this most basic depiction of female friendship. It's really a bummer. Yeah, I agree. And on that note. <laughs> <laughs> <Give it positive. laughs> yeah, well, actually, I'm really excited about our next episode. Um, it's The Answers by, oh, gosh, what is her name? Um by Catherine. Oh, well, well, we'll tell you next week, but it's the answers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's really, I, I really enjoyed that book. So I think we'll have a much more, um, well, I don't know if you'll enjoy it, Laura, but um, I think we'll have a bit more positivity in our episode for next time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm looking forward to it. I'll talk to you then. Okay. Thanks, Laura. Thanks Bye. everyone.